Welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Ken Burke, and today our guest is Bob Schindler, Chief Operating Officer at Seed Sports. For those of you who do not know Seed Sports, Seed Sports is a sports ministry organization that strives to meet athletes where they are and share the gospel and build relationships all while being involved in sports. Bob, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken, and I'm thrilled to be with you today. So thanks again for having me. Of course, of course. It's my pleasure. Uh, For all the listeners that do not know, uh, Bob is obviously the COO of Seed Sports now, but before that, he was a pastor, he was a church planter, and even played some uh, professional golf, which I I thought was pretty cool. But I'm so excited to dig into all of that and touching your book, Does God Care Who Wins?, Uh, which is obviously a topic we're going to spend a lot of time on today. Um, but Bob, I know I've touched on it a little bit already, but can you please just go through your background about your experiences as a Christian and in sports? Uh, I grew up playing um, primarily football and baseball. Those were my two best sports. Started when I was like, I think seven and eight years old playing those. I was a middle infielder and quarterback and running back and defensive back. Uh, love football. Football was my first love, but I did not grow up in any kind of a Christian home um, at all. So the idea of uh, competing for Christ had nothing uh, in my uh, uh, solar system at that point. Um, my identity as an athlete was, or, uh, was pretty tied to my overall identity in my teen years. Um, as most teen athletes are, I was, uh, I was an accomplished athlete. I, was, uh, I got accolades for that, and a lot of my identity was tied up in that. Um, I didn't know anybody that ever told me, Ken, that they were a Christian. Uh, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and never met anybody that ever said they were a Christian. Um, I, if you, I never heard the gospel. Uh, uh, never, and I only met my first Christian when I was a senior in college. Um, and that, that person explained the gospel to me um, for the first time that I'd ever heard that. Um, I was honored uh, to hear it and to hear that this incredible story of a God who not only created the world, but created me and had been telling a story since the beginning of time and wanted me a part of that story so much that he would send his son to die uh, so that I could become a part of that story. And that was, Ken, that was the best news I'd ever heard. I never heard anything like that. I said, I probably would have said I believed in God because I was an American. Didn't everybody believe in God? But I had no idea how those two worlds uh, intersected until that person explained that to me. So I became a follower of Christ then at 22 um, and went into the business world uh, having studied chemical engineering. I uh, did that for several years and through a process of growing as a Christian, in a couple of years I began to think about potentially playing professional golf. Now I had played golf for two years of my college career um, but had given up on the idea of ever playing professionally. But as I was growing as a Christian, I began to get more and more aware of what was going on in the PGA Tour in terms of any kind of spiritual growth for athletes. And in those days, there was just a couple of believers that would gather together periodically. It's nothing like it is today. Today, there's a weekly Bible study out on the tour with anywhere from from 30 to 50 to 70 guys that gather with their wives at times. So uh, it's a much more developed uh, uh, ministry now than it was back when I was trying to play. And I I felt like God had given me a heart for these men, and I began to think about, would you want me to pursue golf in order 
to reach out to them. Back then, there was no such thing as chaplaincy. Nobody had ever even heard of chaplaincy. There was no baseball chaplains. There was no football chaplains, no soccer chaplains. Not like there are today, like your previous guest, Bruce Nain, is, is very much involved in. That's, that's all been in the last 50 years that, that has been developed. So, in fact, I then decided to pursue professional golf. And uh, as a young believer, I had been taught that all of life is to be integrated into the gospel. It wasn't just something you did on Sunday. It was something you did throughout the week in your workplace, in your neighborhood. And so I began to think about, okay, if that's true, as I'm, as I'm trying to pursue this golf thing, what does it look like to integrate golf into the gospel? Mm. And I began to think about how does it, what does it mean to compete as a Christian? And when I began to look at the landscape out there, uh, Ken, there was just not much available. There was people that would talk about what to do, and particularly in golf, before you play, before you hit a shot, after you hit a shot, you talk to people, you maybe share, try to share Christ, you might meditate on Scripture, but there was really nothing about how did you actually play golf as a Christian. So that's, how, that's some of my background in trying to figure out how to integrate my sports into Christianity. Why did you, or how did you decide that you wanted to, you know, be a part of Seed Sports and be a part of that sports ministry uh, that you're, you know, you continue to be involved in today? Well, so after I played golf for four years, um, and during that time was investing more and more time in ministering to golfers, helping them just to grow in their Christianity, uh, to discover Christianity, to um, be involved in small groups and one-to-one relationships. Uh, God did a funny thing, Ken. Guys began to tell me that they thought I ought to do that more as my vocation instead of my avocation, and they actually started giving me money. Wow. I wasn't even asking for money. They just said the Bible says we're supposed to support those that, that uh, teach us. And so... Um, that was a very interesting experience. Then I went on a three-year journey where I began to explore that, went back into business for a while, and then finally decided after that that, sure enough, I think God had set me apart for vocational ministry. And that's when I went to, I was involved in a church for uh, eight years as an associate pastor and then church planted, and then did that for 10 years. And in both those churches, we started sports ministry. Um, and so I, I have a heart for outreach, and the reason we did sports ministry is because, again, you need a bridge if you're going to reach people. And I, that, I started ministering more to golfers on the recreational level than on the professional level, but it was still my heart to reach golfers. And so we did ministry in both those churches that, would, that started with golf but then extended to other, other sports as well. And then that was how I got connected to seed sports. I got connected to the broader sports movement and seed sports through that involvement in sports ministry in my church. Mm. You mentioned a bridge between sports ministry and golf. What was that bridge? How did you, um, for anybody that, that's listening, how, in the, how did you practically witness to golfers at, you know, through conversations, through just playing golf with them? Well, that's a great question, Ken, because I, um, I think people sometimes have, a, have two extremes in those ideas. One is, I guess I better put, you know, John three sixteen on my ball, my golf balls, on my golf bag. Maybe I ought to play Christian music when we're playing. Um, maybe I ought to drop tracks around the the golf cart. That's one extreme. The other extreme is I'll just go hang out with guys and and we'll just see what happens. 
you know, no, no intentionality at all other than just to go play golf. And, and I, I think that I've certainly strongly emphasized relationships, building relationships with the intentionality of entering into redemptive conversations. Because that, that bridge of golf provides an opportunity for a relationship to be built. But I want to use that. I want to be involved in that relationship to enter into redemptive relationships, to have the depth of relationship with that person that, they'll, that we start discussing things that are of importance to both of us. And in that conversation, the gospel is going to come up. Um, because if it's a part of my life in a real way and we start talking about things that really matter, I'll end up having an opportunity to talk to them. And then I discover what their what their understanding or belief or how they handle those situations. So that that's what I mean by a bridge. It's a connector. Mm. There's nothing magical about golf or any sport in the fact that it connects. It just connects. Sports is the I think the best connector. It's not the only connector that there is out there between people, uh, but it's I think it's the best one. It crosses racial, it crosses um, social, it crosses socioeconomic, it crosses gender, it crosses national boundary. It's just that's just it's just the way sports is. So that's how I, that's how I um, how I would do it. I I I'd find somebody that liked to play golf. I'd start to play golf with them, and we'd get into conversations. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I, I'll give you an example of that. So uh, I started playing golf with a neighbor of mine several years ago, and and um, we would just talk during the round. I'd just find out more about where he grew up, what you know, what he did for a living, what 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 he enjoyed. And on the way home, he said, "Well, Bob, by the way, what do you, what do, by the way, what do you do?" I said, "Well, I'm actually in a, a pastor of a church." He said, "Oh, okay, that's great. I just have no interest in that." I said, "Okay, uh, I understand that." We just kept we just kept playing golf, and we would hang out as couple as families. And he watched me um, deal with my kids. And one one day we get done with a round of golf, and he closes the trunk and he says, Hey Bob, how do you get your kids to obey you? And he just watched that. And I, I didn't bring out uh, Proverbs and say the, you know, uh, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it from him or her. I just said, Dale, we discipline our kids. We have consequences for disobedience. Oh, okay. So he went on. I didn't, Next, uh, within about another month or so, we're playing golf again. Same thing. We're talking during the round. He, we, we put our clubs in at the end of the round. He closes the trunk. He said, Bob, how do you keep your wife from spending all your money? <laughs> and I said, Dale, I have absolutely no idea. Oh my <laughs> What I actually said was, well, Dale, our marriage is not ours. Mm. Our marriage is a gift from God. And we've both submitted ourselves to him and... As we grow closer to him and his guidelines for the marriage, that deepens our marriage. Left it at that. So that, that's kind of the progression. About, about six months later, we're sitting at lunch one day, and he says to me, he got, this, guy, this is a guy that graduated from college in the United States. He looks at me one day and he says, Bob, didn't some, a bunch of drunk guys just sit around one day and write the Bible like sort of like the Canterbury Tales or Chaucer's Fair, those kind of, that kind of literature? And I took about 30 seconds and explained, no, no, that's not, it was written by 40 guys over, or 40 people over 1,500 years, and it's the most, um, it's the most uh, proven to be accurate document of any historical document. And he never heard anything like that. He ends up, within a period of time, he ends up going to a church, not the church actually that I was going to, because he'd moved at that point across, and he ends up becoming a Christian, he and his whole family. That was about a three to five, I think about a three to four year process. 
So that's an illustration of how I use golf or how I encourage others to use any sport really like that. Wow. That's such a powerful story. And I love that you mentioned that it takes, it can take a while. Like it can take a long period of time. And, and sometimes certainly God can do, if he, if Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, he can make the harvest happen really quickly. Exactly. But he can also take, it's also clearly it takes time. It's like a, a growing seed in one of the parables that he said. And, and he determines that time, not me. I just want to stay engaged in the process that he's ordained. Right. Right. Yep. We're just the communicators. We're not the, we're not the movers, you know? Yeah. We don't produce the fruit. That's absolutely correct. Exactly. So I wanted to touch on your book, Does God Care Who Wins? Uh, thank you for sending me a copy, actually. That, that, was really, that was really an awesome gesture. But why did you write that book? What motivation did you have to write it? And also, what did you learn while writing it? Yeah, that's, those are uh, very, very important questions because I, don't, I, don't, I think you always have to ask an author why he writes mm -hmm. before you'll ever understand what he writes. But I, I actually, after uh, uh, starting to pursue professional golf, and then I worked on my game for two years, I went to what was then called tour school. Uh, tour school had nothing to do with academics. It was, just a, it was basically a, a uh, week-long golf tournament that the top 15 would advance. Um, and so I went to that tournament and, uh, played four rounds of golf. And after the, after the first round, I was tied for 11th, played pretty well. Second round, I got sick. And actually after playing even part of the first round, I was, I got sick in the, on the back nine. I thought I was going to quit. And I really literally just about crawled into the golf, into, into the, uh, uh, pro shop after the round. I, and uh, after that round, I was tied. I went from 11th to 66th. After the third round, I was tied for 30th. I figured I had to shoot about a, a 67 the next day to even qualify. And under that pressure, um, John Feinstein, the sports writer, said that PGA Tour School back then was the most pressure-packed filled week in sports. Uh, guy, it just because every mistake that you make cost you for the rest of the tournament. You may, you, it doesn't matter what your pedigree was, what your record was coming into that. There's no draft. You have to perform there. And in that circumstance of that last day, I ended up playing the best round of golf of my life. Uh, and I ended up, after that round of golf, tied for 14th with five guys. So that there were 15 spots, so there were two of us that were going to qualify. If it had been three years later, the PGA abandoned the whole idea of a playoff for those people because of just the way things worked out. Because they said, if you, if you made it into, the, into that, we're going to go ahead and advance you. Well, and, and that round of golf that day, I had had um, two putts actually come back at me, if you know anything about golf. That's, a, that's, that's very, very uh, hard to do. I had another putt go 270 degrees that to the left, and then I had another putt stand right on the lip on a downhill. I don't know how gravity didn't put it in. So if any of those putts go in, I don't, I'm not even in the playoff. If I don't get sick, I'm not in the playoff. But if I don't shoot the low round of golf, low, the best round of golf of my life, and the low round of the day, by the way, that last day, I'm not, I'm not in the playoff. So I go to the playoff, I bogey the first hole, and I'm out. Two years, 292 shots, four days, and I'm walking back to the clubhouse. And when I got to the clubhouse, I called my wife and I said, basically, did God care about what happened today? Now, that sent me on a journey, because remember I said that I was trying to integrate my 
golf into Christianity? Where was God in all of this? And I, I searched for the next three years, really studying, praying, reading as much as I could, and I came to some pretty significant convictions about it. But I didn't share much of those for another 15 years or so and I, until I got to working for Seed. And as I began to work with Seed and, and understand the broader movement, I started to read more about this question, does God care wins? It's a very, very often written about question. It, it made the cover of Sports Illustrated in 2013. Uh, that that well-known Christian publication, Sports Illustrated, does God care who wins the Super Bowl? That was on the cover. That was the cover story. And so then I, I, I began to feel compelled to write. And so I started writing some blogs about it. And a friend of mine said, Bob, I've never read anything like this before in my life. You've got to, you've got to write this more than you. Uh, this has framed me and helped me to understand things in a way. And so I waited for a couple years and then I finally decided I, I'm going to write the book. And so I wrote the book out of my own struggle with answering the question and in helping people to wrestle with the question themselves. Now, what did I learn? That's, a great, that's another great question. What did I learn? Well, first of all, I learned that writing is actually really hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm an engineer by original education. I, my wife's an English major. My son's an English major. And the one person in the, in the, in the family right now that's written a book is, a, is the engineer. So uh, I didn't have one English course in all my college career. I mean, that we, we just didn't take them. So first it's hard, but I also love to write. That's the other thing. I really learned I love to write it. And I wish I could have said more. That's another thing I learned. But I also learned that it struck a nerve. It, it, it has been an amazing thing to watch how God has opened up audiences of people that uh, want to talk about this. Every, you know, Ken, everybody's got an answer to the question because it's talked about on, talk, on, uh, on sports talk shows. It's, it's on you know, on TV, everybody's got an answer, and all these coaches and players are always talking about how God gave them the victory. And, and so you have pundits on both sides saying, oh, no, 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 or oh, yeah, 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 yes. And so I wrote the book really to help people that, that uh, to understand what I didn't like about the no answer to what I didn't like about the yes answer, and then what I thought was the best answer. So I've just seen, the last thing I would say I've learned is how many Christians have been taught poorly about this subject. That'd be the last thing. By their coaches or their teachers. Um, I had one gentleman, one gentleman, and this has happened repeatedly, Ken, is that he would say that their football coach at a Christian university would say on Tuesday, if you don't have, if you, no, he would start with this. If you read your Bible and you pray, and you don't have sex with your girlfriend this week, we're going to win on Saturday. And then, guess what would happen when they lose, Ken? They'd go start looking for who broke one of those three rules. They'd find the Aiken in the camp. Who, who messed up? And so that's an example of what I mean about poor teaching. That's just not biblical. That's not gospel-centered thinking. So those are some of the things I learned. It's been a fascinating journey. I know as I read it and reflected on it, First of all, it's a great book, and I do encourage anybody and everybody to go pick it up and read it because it was great. But two, I, I noticed the dichotomy of either side of this argument. Does God care who wins? And I think you did a great job of portraying what your thoughts were and what your opinion was because I'm not going to give the answer right now but because I know, I know you want to do that. But 
the conclusion that you came up with was something that I had been thinking about for years, but I just didn't know how to put my thoughts into words. And you did a really great job in that. But for all the listeners that haven't read the book, from your perspective, does God care who wins in sports? Well, I would first of all ask anybody that asked me that question, I would say to them, what do you think? And then, and then everybody's got an answer, yes or no. In fact, when I, when I speak on the subject before folks and athletes, I just have everybody vote all at once. You stand up or you sit down one of those votes and you look around the room and see you know, what people think. And everybody, everybody's all over the place. And then I ask why. Why do you think that? Why do you think no? The typical answer for the no is, oh, God's got more important things to do. Mm. He's got, you know, the world, uh, uh, world hunger. He's got sex trafficking. He's got the spread of the gospel. Sports are just insignificant. Doesn't matter at all to him. Or that, that some would say, oh, he cares about how you play, but the outcome of the game he doesn't care about. And I'm really troubled by that because that's that breaks life into what I call two buckets, a does God care bucket and a does God doesn't care bucket. And my question to them is, how do you decide what goes in which bucket? I mean, does your marriage go in, in the cares or not, or not care bucket? Does your vocation, if your vocation goes in the, the cares bucket or, and, and sports, why, why would sports not go into that? Because the outcome of the games in fact, uh, affect deeply those vocations. Interestingly enough, Ken, in 35 years of asking men what God cares about in their lives, not one person has ever told me that their job goes in the does God care bucket. That, and that really concerned me. That would say, oh, well, God cares about the people I can witness to at my job. God cares about the money I can make at my job that I can give to kingdom advancement, but he doesn't care about the product of my work. Mm-hmm. And, and that's concerning to me because if that's my doctor... I care about the product of his work. If that's my accountant, I care about the product of his work. If God doesn't, though, that's very, very concerning to me. Uh, but that's the typical, uh, kind of the secular, sacred dichotomy that exists. But then I ask the people that, that, um, who struggle with the yet, who, who say yes, typically they would say, well, God basically rewards those who work hard or who are the most Christian or who are the most devoted. And again, I'm really troubled with that because that turns people into either, instead of being confused about what goes in which bucket, you become proud uh, winners and ashamed losers. And that's what I was. I wondered, Ken, after I lost that day, what did I do wrong? And for three years, that's what I really wrestled with. Why did you not? God, you could have very easily given me the victory. It would have been so easy. Why didn't you? What did I do wrong? Because I grew up in this highly performance-oriented, athletic-driven family. You reward the winners and you and you punish the losers, and so that's just not the gospel again. So um, I would say yes, he cares, but for ex- very, very, very different reasons than we do. That's my simple answer to the question. Yes, he does, but for very different reasons. Yeah, and you can't give a simple, limited answer to a God that is all knowing and unlimited. <laughs> like that is our human brains aren't designed. To, to think like he does, like it's, it's just not possible. But there's a theme in the book and a topic that you talk about really specifically about bringing God on the field with you as an athlete. Uh-huh. And you, you even related that back to creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, which I thought was really fascinating because I never, I never connected those two, you know? So in your opinion, how important is it to bring God 
onto the field with you as an athlete and how crucial is that for athletes all over the world? Well, I think it's absolutely critical. <laughs> it's not only important, it's absolutely critical um, because God cares about everything and everybody and everything about everybody, including sports. Um, in, in Psalm 33, it says, the Lord in heaven looks down, the Lord looks down from heaven and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches over all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. That word consider in the Hebrew is evaluate. So he he it's a, the word that's repeated, if you notice, was all. He's evaluating everything about everybody. Everything matters to him. Everybody matters to him. And he's looking for something. The psalm goes on to tell us what he's looking for. But the main thing that he's looking for is people who see life as all of his. And, want, and acknowledge that he's involved and acting in all of life. Now, why I go back to the creation, fall, redemption, consummation is many people think that sports are not good and competition is evil. And so God doesn't care about that. He doesn't want to even be involved in it. Certainly, competition has been distorted from the fall. Fallen competition is all about striving against the opponent, winning at all costs. But if competition was actually in the mind of God in the garden, then it's good, and it's been corrupted, and it needs to be redeemed. And redeeming it is bringing God and sports and the field all back together because everything in creation matters to God. Not just people, matter and systems and all of the world, business, recreation, art, literature, all needs to be redeemed from its brokenness, including sports. And part of that is breaking out of that God's over here and he doesn't care, sports, I can do whatever I want. No, I bring... I bring my sports and I integrate them back to God. And, and then I began to think about what does God want this competition to look like? And now it's not so much striving against, but it's striving with my opponent. My opponent is somebody I'm grateful for because if there's no opponent, there's no gain. But in the striving against world where you win at all costs, you treat your, enemy, your, your opponent as an enemy, you destroy him like a warrior. You lose the game if that actually happens. So to me, Ken, it's really critical. Then, lastly, just in this idea, you know, that is often used in in life, where whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all for the glory of God. So if if that, that word says whatever you do, all of life, there is no God doesn't care and God cares for all of life is to be done fully doing it all for a way in which God is honored, when God is glorified, God is shown off to the world as this magnificent, almighty, infinite God that we just talked about. So if I, if I leave him on the bench, then I'm just destined to my own worldly broken competition, and that area stays unredeemed. But if I bring God into that world, all of a sudden it changes my whole way I think about it. This isn't mine. This is God's. Now, how does he want me to approach that competition? So it's radically, in, radically important and radical 
uh, altering of the mindset that an athlete has or a coach has or that a parent has that, that are watching it or fans that are watching it. It radically impacts the way you view sports and competition. I know for myself, I, you know, I would look back, I, I look back now on times where I would, I would bring God onto the field right before the game started. And then right when it started, I don't know what happened, but the devil got a hold of me and <laughs> it was, it was not, I just wasn't a Christian on the field. And as soon as that clicked where you have to bring God into everything, even sports, that is when like you bring God onto the field. Don't leave him on the bench. It's great. It's a great illustration for athletes because if you if you're on the bench, you're not in the game. And no, he's just watching. Then he may just be kind of watching the game. Hmm. But it, it, you know, to your point, Ken, you're not alone in that perspective. By the way, I've had a number of athletes that have come up to me and said, you know, I went to a Christian university. We would pray before the game. We would pray after the game if we won. But I never one time in all my years ever thought about God when I was on the field or on the court or on the pitch. That's a very common attitude that goes, again, this dichotomy, God doesn't care about this. We'll pray because this is kind of the important thing to do. But, but, and, and, and I think, honestly, Ken, that's one of the first fruits of bringing, him on, bringing him, uh, God onto the field is you realize how much you don't. And, and so it, it breaks us in a very good and humbling way. Lord, this is so much about me. This isn't about you today. This is about me and, and me advancing my name. It's not advancing your name. Yeah. And I can still do that when I'm playing around a golf today. It's a, just a friendly game, and it's about, wait, do these guys think I'm a good golfer or not? I'm supposed to be an ex-professional. I'm supposed to be really good. Pressure's on me. If I look bad, look at, well, who's that Schindler? What the heck is he? You know, he was a golfer? I can't no so that and that can consume my thinking and I need to first I just need to acknowledge that right away that is Lord here I am I'm open before you again it's not so much about what I'm going to do for you in this game but right away it's all about what you're going to do for me and you're just exposing the fact that I still can be so much about me and you're not doing that to shame me you're just doing that to free me from that pursuit of that's, that's empty and non-satisfying. You touched on this a little bit, but I know teams and athletes that always claim that if you have God on your side, then you're going to win the game. That is, I know it's, it can be a really, really risky and harmful thing to say, especially before a game. What, what do you say to teams or athletes that, that claim that God is on their side so they're going to win the game? The first thing I ask is what do they mean he's on your side? Mm. And then I ask them why he's on their side as opposed to the opponent's side. And typically it boils down to they think they've done more to deserve God's favor in that place. And I begin to talk about, do you realize what you just told me, that favor of God is based on hard work? And, and I try to gently unveil the fact that is not the gospel. Jesus said in his most important sermon, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, the very first tenet of that sermon is, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
Now that word poverty, that word poor there doesn't mean just a little poor. It means abject, absolute poverty. And so he's saying the kingdom of God is not for those people that think they deserve it. It's for the people that recognize they don't deserve it. So if that's the primary first tenant of Jesus' outline of the tenets of the kingdom, that's opposite of what you just said, that person that said, well, God's on our side because we work harder, because we've, we've read more of our Bible, because we've prayed harder, because we're Christians. And, and so that, I, I try to help them to see how the world has influenced them to adopting a what you might even call a prosperity doctrine approach to the gospel or a works mentality to the gospel. And that's just not what Jesus taught. No. It's just not the gospel. No. And I find people, honestly, are pretty open to it, Ken. They, they, they realize the shallowness of that when they start to examine it. They just don't examine it usually very, very far. And, and unfortunately, coaches use it as a motivation. It, it, it works. You know, hard work is going to end up resulting in something happening on the field. And so coaches will say, look, we're an army out here. We're God's army. We work harder. God's going to give us the victory because God's on our side. And it works to motivate guys. It doesn't mean it's it's the gospel, though. That That's my point to them. And I thought about this. I mean, techni- technically, they're right because God is on everybody's side if you accept him. So he's on both teams. So I don't, I don't understand that argument. And, well, and that's what I mean. What do you mean he's on your side? Does that mean he's going to guarantee you victory? And I, well, where do you think that is biblically? Uh, particularly in the New Testament, when it says that, if anything, he's guaranteed us that we're going to suffer. That's a part of our privilege as a Christian, is, is the privilege to suffer and, and complete the sufferings of Christ, even Paul said. So to me, it's just we've mixed some theology with some, uh, with some motivational talk, and, and, then we, and then we live in the soundbite world. You know that, Ken. So, so somebody sticks a mic up before a coach after a game and says, Coach, tell us, how was the game? And they feel compelled as a Christian to give God the glory. They, they want to say something. But often, they don't think through what they've said. So a, a great example of this in a, in a non-athletic realm, that a non-Christian who read the book that I'm spending time with brought up to me after the Parkland shooting in Florida. There was a woman that they interviewed whose daughter was spared, but the girl sitting next to her was shot and killed. The mother of that daughter said, we're just blessed, so blessed that our daughter wasn't shot. Now, my, my question is, what does the woman whose daughter got shot supposed to think? She was cursed. What did she do wrong? So, see, I don't think that woman ever intended that by her comment. But she didn't think through what she ought to say. So often when I'm, when I'm training coaches and athletes, one of the things we do at the end of this time is write out your write out your 30-second speech. What are you going to do? Somebody's going to stick a microphone in your mouth. After you've won a big game, what are you going to say? That's not going to lead people either to thinking, no, he doesn't care, or yes, he cares for the wrong reasons. And it's a very interesting experience because I think there are things you can say that don't lead you to thinking he rewarded me because I worked hard. So, uh, But you've got, you, you know that, Ken, 
you got 15 seconds. You don't get 30 minutes to explain it. So you're absolutely right. It, it's nuanced and it's much deeper, but you but we live in a soundbite world, so you better be careful about what you say. That's what I would add to that. So as we as we wrap up today, and uh, thank you, Bob, again for joining me today. But you brought up the idea of opportunity and how Americans really take for granted having so many opportunities to showcase their skills. And I know I did as an athlete, but how do we navigate this and actually be thankful for the opportunities that we get, let alone who wins and loses? Because I know after after a win, I always thank God for the win, never thank him for the losses. And especially, <laughs> I, I've never th- I never thanked him for the opportunity to even compete. Right. So right. how do we navigate that as a Christian athlete? Well, actually, Ken, uh, I got radically... Uh, stopped in my tracks with this idea when I went to Africa for the first time. And as I'm traveling around Africa and I'm watching these athletes play, I realize they don't lack for ability. They don't lack for hard work attitude. And there's probably a number of Michael Jordans just embedded in that African culture and nobody's ever discovered them. What do they lack? They lack opportunity. And so it, it just made me start to think, gosh, how do I take for granted opportunity? Whether it's, whether it's athletics or business, we just think we'll start business and we'll succeed. You know, I was in Zimbabwe when they, they, they added three zeros to their currency. And I said, if you're in wealth management in Zimbabwe, I don't care how good you are. You're not, there's no wealth there to manage. There's no opportunity. So I think the first thing is just to even ask God to help you to recognize what a gift opportunity is. The gift to participate, whether it's in business or, or in this case we're talking about sports, just the privilege to be in a culture that you have time and resources and, and to, to play the things you love. And then, then just to regularly ask him, to show you when you're not appreciating that. I, I think it's really great to walk up to opponents before you're playing and just tell them, thanks for coming. Because if you didn't come, in your heart you could say, I don't get a game. And if I don't get a game, then I don't get this opportunity. And I love the opportunity. So it changed, just even thinking that before I go. So to me, it's it's like, got, you know, if I'm if I'm complaining or if I'm just upset, I've got my mind on the wrong thing. Again, it's just, what was the privilege just to be out here and have fun and enjoy it and strive? Yeah, you know, I've told people, last thing I'd say is, I've told people some of my greatest sporting memories are not necessarily winning. Some of my greatest sports memories are when I and the person or the team or the, or the, or the group that I was playing against were so closely matched to me that we would just, we were pushing each other the whole time. And they were pushing me, and I was pushing them, and it was close, and it was close, and it was close. And at the end of that time, can we did? I didn't care who won. I just had so much fun being out there. Now, um, was I maybe a little disappointed? Sure, but it was that was not the thing. The thing was that we were just striving together out there. They were they were bringing stuff out of me I didn't even know, and I was bringing stuff out of them that they didn't even know because we were pushing each other. How much more fun is that than playing my five-year-old son that I can stuff on every shot and he doesn't score a point? So I went 10 nothing. So what? That's no fun at all. <laughs> so, you know, I want to appreciate yeah. my, my opponents and yeah. the opportunity they give me for me to have fun. So that, those are just a couple of ideas that, that 
um, I've run across over the years. But I think it's really, really inherent for us to just see, first of all, how much that's just embedded in our American culture. And if you're listening to this, just say a quick prayer before before you compete, before you go on the field and your coach just ha- have the opportunity to play, to coach, exactly. to be a parent of an athlete. That is so it can it can just change your mindset of athletics altogether. Uh, but Bob, as we close down today, I just want to thank you for one coming on the podcast because it really meant a lot to me. But two, being a light for Christ through sports because that's so that's so needed in the world today, and you're doing a great job with that as a COO of Seed Sports. Well, thanks, Ken. And, and again, it's humbling for me. I feel like God has given me this question. I feel so grateful that He has. It's 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 given me opportunities to talk to people like you who I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know just a little bit that we've spent time together. So it's just an honor. I feel privileged to even have people think about this and to talk about this God who's so uh, marvelously generous that he's given us this world that's full of these opportunities that we just talked about. So thanks again for having me on, Ken. Hmm. Amen. Amen. So if you're listening to this, I would encourage everyone and anyone to check out Seed Sports, whether it be on their website or uh, social media. Just as we say every week, please share this episode and rate the podcast. It really helps us out a lot. If you don't get anything else from this, just remember this. No matter what, God loves you and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.